Heavenly Father, you filled the walls of that sanctuary with energy, with your spirit, with those that are seeking you, those that have chosen to follow you. Lord, you bless that place because there are those that have chosen to follow Christ. And Lord, there have been victories this week. Those that have come that haven't chosen your narrow way, but that through your spirit, the prodding, the poking, from the prayers of parents, of grandparents, of friends, of churches, they have accepted you. But there are still those that say no. Lord, we pray for those souls. Lord, the power of Jesus Christ, the power of His salvation, the power of His blood is still available today. Lord, pour Your Spirit down here in this place, in these walls. Touch hearts that are finally broken and ready to receive You. We pray it all in Your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are here for 176 reasons. 176 because I called George and he said that's exactly how many teens registered and are here at camp. 176, gigantic number. So you guys outnumber me by a mile. And that is awesome. There are 30 of you that previous to camp have said, I claim the name of Jesus Christ. And I've been baptized in his death and resurrection. 30. That is a beautiful number, but that is a daunting number compared to 176. So 146, simple math. You're here. You're watching the show. You're sitting in your chair. You're enjoying the choir. Unfortunately, there is now a time of reckoning. And I do not relish this opportunity. I do not. I want to make that very clear this evening that I do not relish being here right now. I'll tell you why. 15 minutes ago, 146 of you said these exact words. Listen to them because you sang them. Are you tired? Standing at a crossroads, not sure which way to go. A weary heart? A troubled mind? A hunger in your soul? You tried the world in all its ways, and they've just let you low. You don't need another dead-end road. Can you hear them calling? Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the rightness of God be the holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. I put a question mark there. You see, I read through the songs in the book, And that stood out to me. Why? Because I knew 146 of you are either lying or ready to be broken. Do you believe what you sang? I watched your faces. And some of you I know are not following Christ. I saw your faces and you didn't stop singing on those lines. And that's very painful to stand in front of you all, 176 of you versus one, and to have to try to address that fallacy. That makes me very uncomfortable. Ask yourself, did you lie? Answer it in your minds. Done? Ready? Yes or no? Answer. Yes? Thank you. We're going to talk about two concepts tonight. One of them is time. 
And another one is choice. You are bright people. You are very bright. When you're given an option, Superman ice cream, uh, cheesecake ice cream, good choices, right? Thank you. Thank you for validating that. Easy choices. But you're also in this really neat space of life where you have much larger, much more significant choices to make. There's this beautiful thing of time, especially where you are in your lives. I don't want to say I'm envious, but, but I, I do remember being in your shoes because it was, the air felt cleaner. Every breath, you felt like you were getting more oxygen. Why? Because you guys have your entire beautiful lies ahead of you. I looked at my watch a couple days ago, and I said, there's a darker side of time, though, isn't there? You know, as beautiful as time is and as beautiful as a, a life to come, there's this unrelenting truth about time that is unforgiving. I was looking at my watch and seeing the second hand talk, tick, talk, tick, talk, tick, talk. Every second that goes by will never be back. Time does not forgive in that way. You make a bad choice, you cannot go back and fix it. You can maybe try to mend things, you can talk to somebody, but what was done is done. The Bible even talks about things that we do being recorded. Time is unforgiving and it keeps on going. Time. Can you guys see this? Yeah? You guys can? All right. Simple concept. Okay? 100 dashes. 100 dashes are for, let's say, 100 years. That's pretty generous, I'd say, because I've, I've known one brother that just passed away a few years ago, and he was 100, and it was a celebration to get to triple digits. So whatever it is for us, I'm not sure, but there's some key moments in life. Look at that bar. Let's talk about them. Red number one. You know what that is? Four or five years old. You are bright. You're intelligent. You know why that's a big deal? Because you know your name. Somebody says, oh, what's your name? You say, I'm blah, blah, blah. And if they would say, no, you're blah, blah, blah. And you would be like, no, I'm blah, blah, blah. You know your name. That's significant because you know who you are. You also no longer do number twos in your pants. Big deal. Four or five years old. Ten. ten I was just at a ten-year-old's birthday party, and it was a huge deal. Why? Double digits. Big concept. You were, you were in the singles. Now you're in the doubles. Whole life ahead of you. 16. Third red. Guys, 16, what happens? Answer. Come on. Drive. Driver's license. Freedom. Uh, my dad's sitting in the back. He took me to get my license at 8 a.m. January 2nd on my 16th birthday. 8 a.m. I think I was the first one in the office. Why? Huge deal. It's like smelling freedom from being a prisoner in, in, in you know, max security, right? Like your parents' house, it's max. And now you're like, finally, smell freedom. 16. 18. Some of you guys are 18. Huge deal. Why? Probably graduating high school. That is a big deal. 
Why? Because high school used to be for two generations ago, that was like, you guys are in the workforce. Start making some money. Start building your life. Today's a little bit different. So in my category, 18 is, you finish high school, that's a springboard to another decision. What you're going to learn on this timeline and what you've already lived out in your life is that one decision depends on another. 18, when you're finishing high school, you're not just thinking, okay, now what? Graduation's over. Should I go to grad? Or should I go to undergrad? What should I? No, you're thinking about that years before. Choices and time are interwoven, right? Every choice weaves into another choice that weaves into another choice. And time always goes this way. You will never go back to your 10th birthday. That's done. That's over. Graduated high school, most likely you will never go back there. 26, graduate school, where you finish your undergrad, you're getting into work, big choice. 30, maybe it's a doctorate degree. Or maybe it's a move in the career because you want to get a better job. 40, you got a great career. You have a spouse. You probably have some kids running around. Life is good. 50, you're already looking at retirement soon ahead. You can taste it almost. Your 401k, you check it on your phone. It looks healthy. It looks good. Your investments are doing well. Career's going well. Times are happy. Kids are getting older. Fantastic. 65, drop the keys to your office. Never to come back. Why? Because your 401k did 12% a year, rolled over every five years. You're now living off some great funds. You bought a second house in Florida, which Florida is a great state, trust me. You bought a second house in Florida. You live up north with family during the year. You spend your winters in, in, oh, life is going good. 75, you know what you're doing. Hitting the links every couple of days. Ladies, they just built a brand new mall in Sarasota. Go there every couple days. You have your yoga and Pilates folks. Uh, Starbucks, you guys want to go to Starbucks? What do you want to do? I Snapchat you. Why didn't you Snapchat me back? Whatever it is, is going to be in, in, uh, in 40 years. I don't know. Uh, 85. The grandkids and great-grandkids are just running all around you. Your kids have done well. You trained them well. You've lived such a full life. And look, there's even more ahead. You've been healthy. You're good. That's life, right? Guys, that's life. I don't see anybody nodding. That's not life? Maybe not. Whoever has a Bible, if you'd like to turn to James 4, we're going to read about time and choice. We're going to start at the first verse. We'll go through each verse. We'll discuss each verse. We'll discuss the impacts of it. And we'll see what the Lord has to say through his word. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence? even of your lust that war in your members? Why are you struggling? Why do you wake up one day and feel like, wow, I really haven't done what I wanted to do? Why is life hard? That verse says it's probably because there's a war going on inside of you. There's a struggle. There's you and there's God. And God's calling you to do something that you and your body do not want to do. It's called giving up. It's called being broken. Why do you struggle? Is because you have told Jesus Christ to essentially get lost. Verse 2. Ye lust and have not, ye kill 
and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. All those things that you want and love, you can't attain. Is that a size zero, ladies? Is that the new Supra for you guys? When we struggle and we fight against God, we get depressed. We get run down. We get hardened. And sometimes we just want to give up. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. I'm sure you've experienced this. You've asked God and said, I really need this. I really need to get into this college. I really need this set of wheels and not that other set of wheels because those aren't as fast as the other. God sometimes says to us, not all the time, but when we ask amiss, God's like, really? I like that you're praying, but really? That's what you care about? Why? Because verse 3 tells us, God knows that we ask for stuff that we want to consume on us. That was probably more kinder than what James said. He said, consume it to your lusts. Because God knows that that size zero is for a reason. And that's to attract somebody else. And whatever that car is, or whatever that job is, or whatever shredding you guys need to do, that's for you, not for him. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So all those things that we might be asking for, creature comforts, things that make us want to feel good, things that do feel good, if they're at all bringing us away from God, God sees that as a threat. He says, if you want to be a friend with the world, and it doesn't say, James doesn't say, if you want to 100% go after the world. No, what's a friend? A friend can be somebody you just know casually. Somebody that you see walking across the street and it's like, yeah, I went to school with him or her. Yeah, they're my friend. I know them. Even if we want to know the world a little bit, if we want to dabble, God says, you're my enemy. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Do you think the Word of God is meaningless? Do you think it's all fake? Does it not mean anything? Because the spirit in us, the spirit that you have, small s, your desire, wants to please you. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. If you tell the Lord once, I'm sorry, please hear my prayer. The next verse says something really good. If you submit yourselves therefore to God, you'll resist the devil and he will flee from you. So if you make a choice, and if you say, God, the things that I want, I know you see as a threat. But if you say, Lord, change me, come in me, help me, he will always respond. Let's say that again. Ears open. If you even once tell the Lord, please hear my prayer, please come into my heart, he will never disregard that prayer. Never. Why? Because verse 8 says, if you draw nigh unto God, he will draw nigh unto you. That is a biblical promise. That means now. That means tonight. That means if you prayed that yesterday. If you sang that in youth choir and you sang those songs and you sang those words and you meant it, you were not lying. You were not a liar. God heard that 
and He will respond always. Verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. What are our two main tenets? Time and choice. He addresses your life where you're at now, the time in your life now. And he says, if you call on me, I will answer. And next, James addresses in the last part of this chapter, he talks about now choice. Where do we go from here? And he talks about this concept that says, well, I want to go here or there. And James says, who are we to say that? Who are you to tell God what's happening in your life? Do you have a playbook? I did. Because I mapped out all these red squares in my heart. I did. All these red squares, I had them figured out. I had law school ahead, fancy house, two houses, good kids. They're good. Good kids, really good looking wife. She's good looking. All those things, and I filled in all those red squares. And I said, God, if you just play by this playbook, I think this is a really good, really good plan. That's a lie. Plain and simple. God does not work that way. God does not use our playbook. God does not appreciate when we make these red choices. And maybe years down the line, or as soon as we're ready to place that perfect red square into that perfect time in our life, and we say, God, just, just, just bless it. I've done all of this work so far. Just bless it. I, I have had this relationship for so long and it's, it's, it's been okay, right? Just bless this little red square going to my timeline of life. Just bless it. But now you rejoice in your boasting. Sometimes we're so proud of ourselves for putting that perfect red square in the perfect part of the timeline of life. James says, all such rejoicing is evil. That God doesn't see any righteousness in us putting in our own perfect time in our own perfect little lives in our perfect little lives. Verse 17, he finishes, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I hated ending off on this verse. Why? Because it's like a dagger to you guys. Why? Because 25 minutes ago, you're saying things that might not be true to you. You're saying things that said, Jesus is my Savior. He leads me. He comforts me. Well, if that isn't true, and you know it should be true, what does that verse say? I, I, I hate to deliver this message, but it says then that's a sin. If you know to do good and you don't do it, and you even profess it with your mouth, it's difficult to say these things. Trust me. I want to address somebody that's in this room, somebody that we have prayed to not be here, somebody that I pray to God in heaven now is pushed away out of these walls, and that's Satan himself. We bring a little bit of him when we doubt, when we don't trust, and I pray right now that God would separate him in this room because we can focus on this for just a couple minutes. 
I want to tell you something in clarity. I want to tell you something without him harassing you because it is truth. I want to tell you something about the devil that you know but that we need to do together right now. What Satan does every day to us is he puts on a little bit of pressure. Right? A little bit of doubt. A little bit of fear. And he laughs. He laughs when this happens. Right here. Right? Guys, look at this. This is what Satan wants from our lives. Right here. He wants to shatter them. He hates us. We can talk about this because this is exactly what Satan wants with your life. He wants you in the trash, literally. I want you to try to remember that because sometimes we don't give Satan enough credit. We don't. We we know God's more powerful, yes. But sometimes we shrug off temptation. We shrug off sin. And we say it's not a big deal. Satan wants us to be comfortable with him slithering around our lives. He gets an insane amount, a a sadistic amount of pleasure from bending you, breaking you, and throwing you in the trash. The devil hates you. The devil hates you. He hates you. The devil hates you. He comes to you, and he wants to make you feel good, and he laughs in your face as you're falling into the trash bin. The devil hates you. If you feel like you're in the trash bin, there's somebody that came to earth, the trash bin. Somebody that came to earth where it stunk, where there were people that hated him, that spit in his face, and you know his name. That is the most powerful name in the entire galaxy, in the entire realm of existence. That is the name of Jesus. Why? Can we do this together? He opens the bin. It stinks. Our lives are a mess. We make mistakes. He looks at that trash bin. He says, you've got to get out of there. You've got to get out of the trash. I'm calling you. Get out of the trash. That means something different for all of us. That's when the lights are off and we're on our phones. That's when we're talking to somebody on the phone, Snapchatting somebody, knowing that this message is going to delete in 10 seconds and I can send them whatever I want to send them. Jesus says, get out of the trash. Picks us up. And he wrote something in Matthew. Because Satan says, look, you're broken. You're pathetic. You belong in there. You can't take stress of life. Look what happened. I pushed you a little bit and you're broke. You're weak. You're pathetic. And he that taketh not his cross... Jesus saying this, and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And in the Psalms we have a few verses that say, if thou desi- that for thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. What was the remedy for sin? I don't delight in that. What do I delight in? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. O God, Thou wilt not despise. God uses broken things. There's a song about that. I really like it. 
It talks about what God can do with this, the shambles of life, those that have been broken by life, those that doubt, those that fear, those that don't know what God can do with a mess. Bless you. Why do we get broken? Why do we get broken? Maybe so we know what Jesus felt. Maybe so we know what it felt like to have nails through your hands. Maybe so we would know what it would be like to be spit in our faces. Have people laugh at us. To have people mock us. God uses broken things. Broken lives. Takes us out of the trash. Because of the cross. He did it for you. He did it for me. Because what is our life? It is a vapor. This timeline is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. These little red marks don't exist anymore. You know what it does? The cross. If you feel broken, like I feel broken, if you don't know where else to go, those verses say, call God. Call on Him. And He will respond. 